Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? A lot better than after the the Oilers' last game. That stinker lost the Vancouver Canucks. Ooh. That's uh, that that's that uh, stench kind of. Uh, I think it was a discussed at many a Christmas uh, gathering, and colored uh, all conversations about the Oilers was that loss to the Flames, or excuse me, loss to the Canucks. But they won tonight. They redeemed themselves with a two-one victory over the Calgary Flames, the rubber match of the Battle of Alberta. And Bruce, it was a rare game where the Oilers had a lead in the third period, and they got out of it with the same lead. Just uh, and and I had a feeling they were going to do it. Honestly, as a, as I was watching the game unfold, they seemed like they were playing better defensive hockey and had made up their minds they weren't going to let it happen again. Now it almost did happen again, uh, with six seconds left when the Flames hit the post. <laughs> but it didn't. Bang the iron. Oh. It did not happen. They 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 got out of it with a two to one win. So, how are you doing? Oh, pretty happy. I mean, after after that and holding on down the stretch, man, that was sure a great look that uh, Calgary got in the dying seconds there. And uh, um, uh, just got shot through traffic right off the post by oiler killer Michael Backlund. And fortunately, uh, it hit the post and stayed out. And uh, by that narrow margin, Oilers actually hung on and won a game by a goal. And a big game it was, so uh, I'm uh, happy with the win for uh, for uh, the flow of play in that game for Edmonton to come out and top two games in Calgary. Actually, now like that. So, well, the grade A shots, uh, our initial calculation, uh, 14 for the Flames, grade A shots, 12 for the Oilers. Um, six, five alarm shots for the flames, five for the order. So, so the Calgary flames had the better, slightly better of the, the you know, the, the really great chances this game of note is a lot of those, uh, flame shots, including that last one with six seconds left went off the post. So very nice. Very, very nice. Okay, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing? Yeah, I'm not going to overthink it, and I'll go with the play of uh, Stuart Skinner between the pipes for Edmonton tonight. Uh, Calgary killer Stuart Skinner, I'm going to start referring to him, uh, the way his uh, career is shaping up. And uh, he made, uh, uh, he was, I just thought, rock solid in the pipes, had little chance on the one Calgary goal, which was a, uh, a, a, uh, a rebound, and I didn't think it was his fault to rebound, and, and uh, Oilers killer Michael Backlund was the wrong guy to get it. A lot of guys would have missed that one, but I was pretty sure Backlund would would make any mistake, and he didn't. And that one, nothing lead looked pretty good, uh, pretty big, the way uh, Jakob Markstrom was playing in the Calgary net. And in truth, Edmonton couldn't afford to give up much, and they could afford to give up a whole lot of shots, and... Uh, Skinner just soaked up the rubber tonight, 47 shots, uh, uh, 46 of which he stopped. And of course, that doesn't count the two or three posts that the post stopped, but uh, any goalie will tell you that's part of the gear. You know, he just has to stop what's inside of the post and uh, everything else is, is uh, a missed shot, right? I, um, I, uh, 
I like this game burst too. Oh. I thought it, I'm just gonna I'm bumped his mark up from based on your description from a seven to an eight because oh, he he didn't. I would he hope didn't, so. Well, he didn't. There was he was saved by the post a lot, Bruce. So a lot of the five alarm shots, probably half of the be- Flames' best shots, went off the post. So according to our calculations, his the five alarm shots, those were those went off the post. So um, he he got a, he got some good luck there, and he was the, he. A lot of what I liked about Skinner in this game was I didn't think he was tested a lot by really super dangerous shots by the, the Flames. But in the third period, there was lots of difficult moments, lots of difficult outside shots, hard outside shots, um, difficult plays that he had to make, and he made them all really easily. He looked super confident as the third period went along, and I think that helped his team uh, to some extent. So I didn't think he had the reason I'm not like jumping out of my skin saying, oh, that was like the game of the year was because I didn't think he faced like he faced a lot of outside shots in those 46, 47 shots. And um, the Oilers did a good job of keeping it to the outside, generally speaking, although 14 grade A shots translates into, you know, three or four goals, um, normally speaking. And um, the good thing is those goals didn't go in. They hit the post this time. So very nice, very very nice. Well, according to uh, Natural Statric, um, they had the expected goals in all situations at 4.5 uh, for Calgary and 2.1 for Edmonton, which Edmonton got two, so they got what was expected. 4.5 for Calgary, and they got one. That's 3.5 goals saved above uh, expected for Skinner in this game, and. I mean, you can split hairs, but geez, 40, 46 saves, one goal. And to me, I, I would have frankly graded him a nine on that game. Like, I thought he was outstanding. And the uh, main reason Edmonton won the game, frankly. And, they, you know, they checked hard. They didn't give Calgary much. Uh, but uh, he he uh, uh, he just built a wall in front of his net. And uh, Officially, only two posts, though, to Foley, and then, of course, the one everybody heard off of uh, Backlund's stick at the end. And those were the only ones in the, in the, uh, uh, in the play-by-play. So, that might have yeah. been it. Yeah. Too, many, anyway. too pretty big shots, though. Like yeah, Oh, yeah, it was a rocket by Foley as well, but too bad. Posts happen. Anyway. <laughs> there was one I, I other time I heard the post, and, and Skinner had completely taken away all of the net. Like, he completely... Put, jammed the post up from the inside and the shot was either going to hit Skinner or it was going to hit the post. There was not, nothing else and it happened to hit the post and they didn't count that one. So They called that, po- it was a post I remember that one too. It's kind of an mm-hmm. outside shot that Richie mm-hmm. I think shot and it yeah, hit the post but it wasn't that dangerous a shot. No and Skinner had it completely covered but like I say you can hear it hit the post but it wasn't because of luck it was because he had everything else covered. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I suspect a lot of people would agree with you, Bruce. Give him a nine. I'm, I'm a little bit more, uh, and I agreed. Like our expected goals were four for the Flames, and he only let in one. Uh, one. So that's a that's a darn good game. Second game all year, uh, David, that the Oilers have held the opponents to under two goals. They beat St. Louis three uh, one in St. Louis in late October, and it was two one with an empty netter of eight, and they. Uh, uh, and that was a goaltending duel between uh, Skinner and uh, 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 what's his name in the net there. Uh, I, I keep thinking Craig, Craig 
Billington, but it's Jordan Bennington. That's Jordan in that Bennington. Craig Jordan, whichever those guys. Anyway, St. Louis goalies. Uh, it's a, a really feisty one. He had a great game against Edmonton, and Skinner matched him save for save and then made one more for good measure. And really, that's how I kind of saw tonight's game. Markston made a lot of good saves, but I mean, by the shot counts, Calgary had by far. I mean, 24-4, Calgary outshot Edmonton in the third period. 24-4, and Edmonton got the only goal. Take that 10 days out of 10. Very nice. I mean, the the play of the Oilers, I mean, they did hang on there, but man, they, they, you do get the sense that the other team's close to scoring at all times. I, I The more I watch this team, Bruce, the more I think they really do need one more seasoned defenseman. Um, in the, you know, we've talked about this plenty in the kind of the Adam Larson, Chris Russell mode. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a player who would be as costly as, as Adam Larson. I mean, if you could get someone who could perform like Chris Russell did for the Oilers, I'd, I would love that. I think that's what they need is, is a, just a, a real super defensive defenseman uh, who can help them kill some penalties. And that would round out this group of players. Uh, my good thing, Bruce, was Connor McDavid's uh, goal. And um, he had had a McDavid, you know, leading up to this, he had had a pretty quiet first period. Mm-hmm. Not a lot happened for him until um, right near the end of it. He burst up the ice after a Flames miscue and he set up Yessa Pugliarvi in the slot <sighs> for a great shot. It would have been so fantastic if Pugliarvi okay. had scored that goal. I mean, there, if there's a guy, Yessa Pugliarvi, I, I thought he had a he had a pretty decent game. Like he didn't, he wasn't involved in a lot of grade A shots. Just I think just that one really. But he he really does fill in well defensively. And, and people may think, oh, that's damning with faint praise. But when, when you're out there with McDavid and Hyman, it really does free those two guys up to play down low in the offensive zone. They can just go for it on the attack because they know, yes, Apoliarvi is going to be back uh, covering for them. Anyway, that I thought uh, that happened that game. McDavid was uh, dangerous on the power play um, in the uh, second period. He set up Dreisaitl uh, for uh, the executioner shot. Um, by um, uh, grabbing the puck as it was going to get cleared and then passing it over. He came charging right down the slot, and that was an amazing slave save by Markstrom. And then he did it again a few uh, about 30 seconds later when Nugent Hopkins set up dry settle for a second harpoon from his favorite spot. And that's, you know, those shot, shots go in about 40% of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. And Markstrom uh, stopped them both. Anyway, so McDavid... Um, he was coming on as the game went along, and he uh, in, early in the third period, he set up Hyman. Um, Hyman had all the time in the world um, after McDavid put the puck back to him on a drop pass, and Hyman couldn't beat Markstrom. But right. then McDavid did it himself, and this was a this was um, must have been on the power play because eh? yes. it's Hyman and Drysaddle. So Hyman makes a great play uh, uh, to start off he, the uh, virtuous cycle. He um, wins the puck on the boards, puck protects it, puts it to Dreisaitl, who does the right thing, get it on Connor McDavid's stick. And McDavid's shot was absolutely brilliant. It uh, He's moving across kind of from left to right, I guess, left to right across the uh, my screen, mm-hmm. uh, across the ice. And he puts the puck in the opposite of the direction of the way that he's moving. And he puts the puck right off the post. And he puts the puck to what is now seen as Jacob Markstrom's weak spot, low to the glove side. Now I don't. I think it was such a great shot that it really didn't. Um, 
take advantage of that so-called weak spot with, with Markstrom, but he has let in a lot of goals just in that kind of area to the Oilers, and McDavid put it right there, and he beat Markstrom. It was an absolutely fantastic goal by Connor McDavid. Sounded exactly like McDavid's winning goal in overtime in the playoffs, which was on a similar kind of play where he burst into the slot, took a pass from Drysaddle, burst into the slot. And that time he shot a little bit quicker, but it was the same thing, glove side, post and in, series over. And tonight <laughs> he had he had to make, uh, Elias Lindholm was there. Uh, so McDavid didn't shoot from the same spot. He made one extra or two extra touches of the puck to go around Lindholm and change the angle. Shoot a little bit more from the left, and then he rang it again right off that glove side post and in. And... Uh, just uh, 13 seconds into the power play. That's maybe, I mean, the power play didn't last long. And Andrew, Andrew Mangiapane took a dumb penalty in uh, Edmonton territory. And oh. Complaining to the referee, and I was saying, sit down and eat your bread. <laughs> that was such he a didn't, stupid he didn't sit down for He didn't sit down for long, and then the next thing they show him on the bench, clearly answering uh, Brian Sutter's query about what he thought he was doing in the uh, offensive zone to take a penalty like that. They didn't show Sutter, but he was looking around behind his head and clearly taking uh, taking some heat from above, and uh, that was kind of fun to watch. Sutter was wishing that he was back on the farm and he had a shovel full of manure that he could have thrown on Penny. That was such a terrible penalty that he took. I mean, it was so he grabbed him twice. Yeah, and then he's surprised obvious. he gets a penalty. He's such a knothead. Like that was mm-hmm. that was uh, right out of the Benoit Pouliot playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have. I like, had... like Mangiapane. I have him in my oh, he's, in my, he's in my draft yeah, team, but he annoys me. Most flames annoy me when they're playing the Oilers. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's it never. Uh, it's always a bit of fun when something goes sideways for one of them. He is a high-skill hockey player. Uh, I would have had McDavid overall as my good thing in the game, mm-hmm. and I did give him an eight. But, man, I, like, I know it's it's you want to ha- have your best players on the ice when the game's being decided in the end, but um, it, it was Connor McDavid's man who moved into the slot, took the pass from the corner through CC, uh, and it was Backland who McDavid should have been on for that with six seconds to go. And I just, you know, those guys, they, they are, they have such incredible offensive instincts, but they're not always, they're not always absolutely tuned in on defense. And uh, sometimes I wonder if just having, maybe having with 20 seconds left, like Derek Ryan or Nugent Hopkins, um, I guess I was going to say someone who kills penalties, but of course now McDavid kills penalties, but just, just someone who's like, that's all that that's their bread and butter. That's all they really think about and really do well is is to kill off the rest of the game. Nonetheless, uh, it often works out for the Oilers having McDavid out there at the end. So I'm not gonna yeah. make too much of it, but I did note that he uh, he would have been the culprit if that got, puck had gone in. Well, he had one shot attempt in the entire game, not just one shot, one attempt, and that was the game winning goal. So really, really is picked, that all? Really picked his spot. He had two giveaways, and he had three blocked shots. So he blocked three times as many shots as he took himself. So that's a very odd line from uh, number 97. Uh, but a, another goal and another, you know, being the scoring hero in another game, that's nothing new. But uh, it wasn't his conventional eight. Let's put it that way. 
and I, and I'm not even saying McDavid isn't a good defensive player. I mean, he plays tough competition, and he doesn't mm-hmm. get eaten alive. I think he's a, a solid. He's an okay. He's an okay to good defensive center against tough competition, which is really good in the NHL. Like if if you can say that about a player, they're getting their job done. So I I think generally speaking, he's uh, he's pretty solid on defense. But um, maybe maybe they would. Uh, I don't know. They don't have Bob Gainey and Doug Jarvis to throw out there. So maybe Connor McDavid's just as well. All right, Bruce. What is your bad thing? David, I'm gonna I'm gonna volley that one back to you because I don't want to step on your toes. You go first, and then I'll okay. follow. Okay. Well, because my, I think you're probably gonna go with the goal itself. I'm gonna go with Matthias Janmark. He was the only player I, on the owners I gave a four to, and and um he just didn't get a ton done swell on the attack. In fact, he he missed. Uh, they were going in, and he decided to pass it to Drysital. Uh, with the empty net and he missed the pass he didn't oh. couldn't execute the pass and would have iced the game right there right so that's a, that's a fairly key mistake in and of itself but um i i didn't like his play and i'm not going to get into the whole sequence of pain on the calgary goal but i i really didn't like his play because what was going on there the flames were running the Oilers show on that shift they had had extended pressure they were outworking the oilers at every turn and the Oilers were, were not working hard enough. They weren't digging in quite hard enough. They were containing the flames, but they weren't getting the job done. And the and the and the real pain starts with the pass out from behind the net into the slot. And that was Matthias Janmark who allowed that pass. He was giving too much gap. He failed to get stick on puck. And that that um that pass uh went right into the slot area. Backhand shot, rebound, and in the net on a five-alarm shot that Skinner had no chance on, as you suggest. So um, it was a small mistake, but it was a pretty consequential one. Um, he also, late in the game, he he made a bad read on, and this is the other, th- the other reason I gave him a failing grade, because this is late in the game. He makes a bad read, and it leads to a two-on-one. He was covering for the defenseman at the point, and he, he decides to bite in on the play because um, he thinks he can get it as forwards do, and um, two-on-one. Now, they, they didn't get a, ch- a shot out of that two-on-one because they, they muffed it up, essentially. But that was on Janmark as well. So two uh, key mistakes um, at key moments in the game, and there wasn't a, a lot on the positive side of the ledger, although I, I, I like the player actually quite a lot. Um, this wasn't his best game, I didn't think. Yeah, well, his Corsi says that while he was on the ice at even strength, which was uh, 13 minutes, uh, Edmonton attempted two shots and Calgary attempted 24. <laughs> oh, so that tells us who had the puck and what end of the ice it was in. Yes. And it wasn't Janmark or Janmark's team uh, that had the possession or the position, let's put it that way. And that whole line was uh, was struggling. I mean, Clem Carson was plus two minus 20 in the same category. And I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of mushy middle in Corsi and they're not all created equal, but when they're all at one end, then either you're dominating or getting dominated. There's really almost no other way. Nuge must've had a bad, uh, Nuge must've had a bad uh, Corsi number as well that I'm guessing, because he's the center on that line. Uh, Yeah. He was slightly better at plus four minus 19, but still. Very one-sided. Yeah, I like Nuge's game, but um, 
Uh, and Costin, I thought, he had a couple of really good moments with the puck in his own zone where he uh, won the puck on the boards, puck protected, and got the puck out. So um, he didn't like, they, I didn't see him making any really obvious mistakes. Or, uh, well, maybe did Nuge, I can't remember. Yeah, we got, yeah, well, on the goal against, Nuge was in the red light zone. Bruce, what's your bad thing? Yeah, I want to just go with uh, with one sequence from uh, Brett Kulak, a uh, guy I singled out in a recent pos- podcast for his wonderful skating. So uh, I mostly like the player, but every once in a while you see uh, times when he just looks lost out there. And this was a play late in the first period, and the puck was chipped around the boards and back to him at the point, uh, which was an Oilers offensive zone possession. And Kulak, first of all, he couldn't handle the puck at the blue line, uh, and then he couldn't keep it in. And once he had to back out of the zone, uh, uh, his play there is to just dump it somewhere into a corner so that his other teammates can touch up and at least establish defensive position. But he just whacked it right up the middle. He just kind of panicked trying to keep it in when it was too late, and he put it right on the stick of a flame in the middle of the zone on a delayed offside, and the jailbreak was on. And Calgary then came through the center zone. There was a uh, what I saw as about a 60-40 puck that if Kulak would have just stepped up, he would have stopped the rush right there, but he sort of belatedly decided to back away from it. And then the puck came over the Edmonton blue line, and he was just kind of passive. Fogel, I think, also got beat on this play on the actual shot by Rasmus Anderson, but it was all caused by... You know, just just a, a, a puck handling mistake, then a turnover, then a, a passive play in the neutral zone, and then uh, you know, so it was it was just one sequence where <clears throat> the same Oiler made multiple small mistakes that added up to become a, a great scoring chance for Calgary. And I just thought it was a kind of an instructional sequence, uh, not to, not to crap on. Uh, Kulak overly, but it was just one play where everything went wrong for the guy, and it wound up going from an Edmonton possession to a Calgary scoring chance from the slot. Luckily, not a goal, because Skinner had the answer for it. So, a play that will quickly be forgotten by most. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Kulak has generally escaped a lot of criticism this year uh, for his defensive play. I mean, Nurse has been a magnet for criticism. Mm -hmm. Evan Bouchard has been a magnet for criticism. But Mm -hmm. Kulak has made a higher rate of major uh, mistakes on grade-A shots against than either of them. And he's not playing the same level of competition that Nurse is. So, and and I would say that that play, Bruce, is actually kind of indicative of the kind of mistake that he makes. He's often a bit too passive, and he loses battles uh, for shots. Um, just he's just he's there, but he's not shutting that guy down. And he just um, he's not he's not an overly aggressive player. He's not a nasty player. He's a he's a he's an excellent skater who can move the puck. And it's fundamentally sound in, on defense and that he's usually in the right spot, but he's not winning the battle enough. He's losing too many of these battles. And um, like, for instance, tonight he made three major mistakes on grade A shots against Tyson Berry. We didn't have him down for one. So um, they've been partners and, and Barry is one of the best defenders um, when it comes to limiting grade A shots against Tyson Berry's been he's been uh, strong uh, defensively for uh, two, two and a half months now. He's really been getting the job done, but you just can't say the same about Kulak. 
and it's um he still may he still may come around. He's been asked to do a little bit more this year, and he's been struggling to get it done. And it's the main reason that you know people expected Kulak to step up and step up into the top four. It hasn't happened. That's why people again and again and again you're hearing, oh, the Oilers need a tough defensive defenseman. Oh, the Oilers need another left shot demon in the top four. Well, they're talking about Kulak's failure to seize that role. And uh, I like the player too. I think he's a really solid third pairing defenseman. And I thought he would had a good chance of stepping up. And I'm still not saying that can't happen. But I, I think he does need to think about his battle level and um, ramp it up a bit. And that play exemplifies it. Yeah, I don't hate his battle level, but, you know, there are times and, you know, inst- instantaneous decisions and so on that, that go wrong. Like, I, I, I do think he gets in there. He got he got into one battle well after the whistle tonight, and I didn't mind that at all. Uh, you know, you got you to gotta stand up for yourself out there. And uh, there was a little bit of that, and it was just, you know, as I said early in the game to my wife, this is, after all, the Battle of Alberta. You know, and there, there's going to be things going on out there. And of course, he's a former flame, so he's uh, sort of a little extra motivated by these games, I would imagine. Uh, not that it would that would be, you know, one percent kind of thing, but um, uh, I just, you know, in a game where Edmonton allows only one goal uh, for the first time in 29 games, um, there's small things to criticize, but really nothing major to sort of really dump all over the team because they didn't do anything really major wrong tonight, I guess, short of that play with five seconds left. Yeah. Bruce, what is your Nume role? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Oilers goaltending splits against the Flames this year. This is actually quite humorous. Uh, Jack Campbell got to start in the first game and he lasted... 10 minutes and 18 seconds, during which he allowed four goals on 11 shots. Now, 11 shots in 10 minutes is not a good look for the team as a whole, but he didn't stop many of them. And I heard some people today saying they would start Campbell tonight, and I was looking at these stats this morning, and I'm sort of just updating them now. Jack Campbell on the season against Calgary, just those 10 minutes, a 23.30 goals against average. And a 0.636 save percentage, both absolutely comically bad numbers. Now, on the other hand, you have Stuart Skinner, who played 168 minutes against Calgary this year, allowed three goals, which is to say fewer than Campbell gave in in 10 minutes. He has a 1.07 goals against average, a 9.75 save percentage, uh, allowing just three shots on a, three goals on 120 shots. Uh, so uh, quite the contrast, and uh, uh, if you want to make the contrast between Skinner and Campbell this year, which has been, you know, significant, there is no more, I don't think I've ever seen a more extreme example of splits against a common opponent than these two. Just uh, stunningly different. Who was saying you should... Start Jack. I'm still reeling, Bruce. Who was saying that? Like, come well, on. Well, to start You're the second half, you got to go back to your start. You know, it was oh, all the same rationale, geez. except for, you know what? I've heard it about four times earlier this season. Each time it turned out to be wrong that he wasn't ready. And I'm not sure when he's going to be ready, but uh, tonight the decision was Skinner all the way. And then the next two games back to back, by all means, Jack Campbell starts one of those games, and you have to figure out which one it is. And, uh, 
Skinner gets the other one, but Skinner's uh, dominant. I mean, this is a 3-2 win in Calgary with 40 saves and a 2-1 win in Calgary with 46 saves. And in the other game, he came in with a hopeless cause down 4-1 10 minutes in, and he made 31 out of 31 saves, and the Oilers lost 4-3. You know, I mean, he's been phenomenal against the Flames. You know when you go with Jack Campbell is when he earns it or Stuart Skinner loses it. One mm-hmm. of those two things has to happen. Maybe if Jack mm-hmm. Campbell started to really play well. Oh, he, he will. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> I hope he will too, Bruce. He's he's been better, but even then, he's he's it's it's always there's a huge amount of nervousness with Jack Campbell in it still. I mean, that's the truth. I'm and nervous watching. I'm him. nervous. Yeah, I'm sort of sure nervous. <laughs> he has looked better though. He's he he's been better. But he's got to get good. He's got to have a, a like Stuart Skinner has just when he's in the net. I'm just thinking. He's just not going to let in a crappy goal. And usually he doesn't, right? Like he has now and then. There was the one against Vancouver that hit him in the shoulder, went high in the net and bounced yeah. in the net. You know, so he has had his moments too. Mm-hmm. But and he and I think his save percentage overall is pretty much just league average. It's not like he's he's not like it's he's eating up the NHL anymore. He's twentieth so, out of fifty going into tonight's game. Well, he will have moved up a few spots with uh, yeah. with that performance. So so a, a an okay to good goalie in the NHL. Um, but that's been really eye-opening because the other goalie has been one of the worst goalies in the NHL this year, uh, who's played any amount of time. So hopefully Jack Campbell will get it together. But anyway. Like, He's uh, going to have to do it by playing one game a week for a while. And yeah. either, Skin- either Skinner loses it or, you know, Campbell plays one game a week and he plays a real good game like three weeks in a row. And then the next week maybe he gets two games, you know, and if he keeps it going, then... You know, but he's kind of in the spot that Koskinen spent a lot of time in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and you know, they're both signed to contracts now. So mm-hmm. that's great. Like, you don't have to worry about playing Stuart Skinner. He could, he could win you the Stanley Cup this year and you don't have to pay him for it for three years from now. So um, excellent that he's he's got the contract. That was a great move by uh, Kent Holland, locking Stuart Skinner up at that amount of money, I think. And um, you, you just go with the best goalie. They're both signed long-term um, in the mm-hmm. NHL. Three three more years for Skinner and four more after this for Campbell. So it's a battle, and we'll see who wins. And I have no, like, yeah, just whoever plays better gets should be getting the starts. Yeah, well, so far, you've got one great move by Holland, and the other move does not look great at all. And obviously, there's, there's a lot of time to, to go, and the, and the manager will be judged in the fullness of time by the overall performance. But Campbell's uh, shaky start here, which is now three months in, uh, has been uh, out and out unnerving when you consider the the investment and term and cap hit they made on him. It's not it's not an easy position to fix if you got the if you got a bad contract in there. Yeah, I like Stuart Skinner in that. He he he's he he reminds me of one of those kind of Tom uh, calm but rough and tumble kind of guys. Like he could be one of the cowboys on Yellowstone. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but uh, all right. My number, Bruce, is seventh. Tyson Berry is now tied for seventh overall in scoring for the NHL defenseman. So he now has 28 points in 36 games. And um, nice. he's tied with Quinn Hughes. He's just behind. Uh, actually, he's tied for, I got it wrong. He's tied for sixth. 
excuse me, six with Dougie Hamilton and Quinn Hughes. Both have 28, as does Tyson Berry. Unless Hughes or Hamilton have scored in the meantime, because the NHL doesn't update their stats very fast. So tied for sixth, and the only people ahead of them are Eric Carlson, Josh Morrissey, Rasmus Dahlin, Adam Fox, and Kale McCarr. So T- Tyson Berry is um, having his, I think it's probably probably undeniably, undoubtedly his best season in the NHL. He's uh, a key member of what uh, shape, could shape up to be the best power play in recorded power play history in the NHL, which is only since 1977. So, uh, but this is, he's a key player on that power play. He's he's toned down his uh, risk-taking at even strength and has become a at least okay and I think good even strength player um, defensively. Good because when he gets the puck, he moves it. Um, he can still um, lose battles in his own zone and uh, lose battles in the slot. And he's not he's not the biggest uh, guy out there and or the toughest or the roughest. But he he he's sound defensively fundamentally. He's, he's a gamer, I think. You know. Yeah, he battles he hard. Quit. No, I, I like I I don't mind him on defense at all. I think he's he's become a safe player, and I I've come a long way a long way in that regard. He, I uh, did not like his defensive decision making some time ago, and I felt bad because I was constantly bringing it up how he, how he was making mistakes on two on ones uh, to to lead to two on one breaks for the other team. But he's it hardly ever happens anymore. I just really admire the player. He's a bargain player. He's definitely a bargain player. Uh, at 4.5 million a year, uh, he's got That's another. That's a minority year. opinion, David. I know. I'm, it I'm not saying I don't disagree with you, but a whole lot of people in in uh, uh, in the cult of hockey uh, listener land. And thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, well, uh, maybe have a contrary opinion, but uh, uh, he, he's so mobile. You know, there was one sequence in the first period I absolutely loved it, where the Oilers were had the puck in the Calgary zone and just cycling along the wall. And Tyson Berry came all the way up along the boards beyond the hash marks, like sort of quarter of the way from the hash marks to the icing line to keep the puck in. And they kept the cycle alive. And about eight seconds later, it went over on the other wing. And Brett Kulak came in from the other point and did the exact same thing, kept the puck alive again. And both times the forwards sort of revolved around to cover. So that the D-man, by going deep like that, it wasn't like if he misses, the ch- it's a two-on-one, you know. It was like they, they uh, uh, the, the team's positioning was such <clears throat> that it frees the defenseman. Sometimes, oftentimes, he's got the best angle at the puck. And I'll say this about Tyson Berry. He is very, very good on the pinch, on the uh, key pins, and on the, on the deep uh, pinches to keep possessions along the wall. And they're just small plays, and they generally don't get a lot of credit, but I'm going to give him some here. Well, part of the uh, reason he may be not making as many mistakes on the pinch is because Woodcroft has a better system for covering. And frankly, Bruce, if your defensemen aren't absolute hammers down the boards in the offensive zone, pinching, pinching aggressively right to the goal line, you're getting it wrong in the NHL, in the modern NHL. You've got to do that. And what you have to do mm-hmm. is train the forwards, who may not yes. might not be used to it, to cover for them. And uh, the owners, I think, are doing a better job of it when they're playing well. Like, it's not a team that gives up a lot of two-on-ones. I don't think you'd have to have the statistics of that to know for sure, and you'd have to be able to compare it to other teams. So I can't say this for sure. But compared to Tippett's teams, especially at the end, they don't give up a lot of two-on-ones. It was a hallmark of the Tippett team when it, was, when it started to come apart at the end. They were just giving up odd man rushes like crazy. 
anyway, they, they, they probably are doing a better job. I mean, I see, for instance, I see Pugliarvi always covering and other players are covering regularly. So it's, that's great. That's how you win hockey games is by pinching hard down the wall, keep the puck in, keep that pressure on and cover for the guy as he's doing it because the defenseman's in the best position to read that play. He sees it all unfolding before any other player on the ice. He's facing the right direction. He's doesn't have any other responsibility because he's the furthest from the play at that point because it's usually on the other side and it's coming around the boards. And if he can pinch in, um, man, that is a great play in hockey. And uh, yeah, Tyson Berry does execute it well. Bruce, there may well, you know, it's not surprising to hear other people would disagree with me on Tyson Berry. There's no more uh, position that's disagreed upon in terms of performance than defensemen. And it's because there's not very good stats to measure defensive 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 play. You're doing it by um, just by watching the game. And some people rely on this statistic or that statistic, um, which I think are quite misleading when it comes to the defenseman. And which is why I think you get such, I think you're such wonky positions that people take on defensemen that are just way out there uh, because they're relying on statistical analysis that's not very sound when it comes to measuring defensive play. I don't know what Barry's numbers are in terms of like, Corsi percentage and or um, Fenwick or those because I, I don't pay any attention to those stats anymore. But um, from what I'm seeing, Bruce, this is a guy who has cut down considerably on the uh, mistakes he makes on grade A shots. Uh, who can who's who's making good decisions when he gets the puck, better decisions when he gets the puck than any other Oilers defenseman on the team right now that Duncan Keith has gone, and um, advancing the puck well, as you say, pinching well. Um, I like the player a lot. And and I was talking about him, the need to trade him this summer for various reasons, just because I thought other teams would value him more than the Oilers uh, were able to value him because the Oilers needed cap space um, and they didn't have any and they had Evan Bouchard in the wings. Turns out that the cap space dilemma was solved with Smith and Keith retiring. Um, I wasn't expecting that to happen. And they, they were able to keep Tyson Berry and, and suddenly, and with Keith going, it made a lot of sense to to hang on to Tyson Berry because um, he's that same kind of player in, in some ways. He's not the player that Duncan Keith ever was, but he's in the same mold, smaller. Well, Keith wasn't a huge defenseman, just quick defenseman who can really move the puck. And now that Berry's making better decisions, he's getting closer to that level of player. He's not there yet. Um, he never, He probably never will be, but he's a player you can win with. He scored a, some big goals, made some big plays in the playoffs, Bruce. Huge goal in game six yeah. in LA. Huge, yeah. huge goal in game yeah. six. Yeah. So count me oh. as president right now, I guess president of the Tyson Perry fan club tonight at least. Well, his, his shot metrics, I, 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 I like to see the slope of these. Some Sometimes the slope tells you what's going on. 48% with Corsi. Uh, uh, 49% with shots. Uh 50, a little over 50% with scoring chances, 50 point, sorry, 50, almost 54% in high danger scoring chances and 55% in goals. So the, you know, the, the volume of shots isn't necessarily there, but as the categories get more and more dangerous, his numbers keep going up. And that's that's a tell, as far as I'm concerned. That's the old Chris Russell slope, right? Yes. That's what we. Now the, yep. the problem that I have with it, one of the issues I have with it's it from is from a when higher you, base. 
when you go with the percentage, the overall percentage, like you do, you're not breaking out his defensive play specifically mm-hmm. right. and his offensive play specifically. And this is one of the, the issues. Well, you with can, you can but they tend you can. to combine them. Yeah, they tend to combine them. I, I wouldn't. If I was going to use those numbers, I would break them out and, and look at what's right, he giving up in his end and what's he uh, – well, there you go, Bruce. And you're, you've shots, always got shots a good, against, shots against good head. Yeah, you've got – you know. Yeah, anyway. I think that's a, the the way to use the to way to the way to use those numbers if you're going to use them. Anyway, Barry, I think is uh, he's at least earning his pay, Bruce. I would like he is tied for sixth in NHL scoring. Now a lot of people say, oh, it's just second assists on the power play, but I'm not seeing a lot of cheap second assists for Tyson Barry. If I'm completely honest, I'm seeing a player who's making some really really good passes, keeping the puck in consistently, a solid like they put the puck back to him fast and hard often and he they keeps know it. where it's going to be because he always goes right behind the puck yeah and whoever has the puck knows they can whip it straight back as long as he's <laughs> had a bit of time to get over there he shadows the puck and wherever the puck is and he goes one blue line to the other and he's right behind the puck all the time that's why they can make all these blind passes to the guy because they know that he's going to be there and then he'll make a pass generally to the open guy on the other side it looks like a simple play well getting the puck to an open well, it can be any of Leon, Connor, or Nuge on the power play. You know, good things can quickly develop from that situation. And, it, so. and the pass is fast, hard, and right on the stick of the typically. guy he's trying to pass to. Yeah. So, yeah, typically. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I got one other number on Tyson Berry since we're there. He's now tied for 106 in the NHL for goals ever scored by a defenseman with 100, as the uh, darts announcers like to say, 100. And he got his 100th goal tonight, <laughs> moving into a tie for 106 with Ryan Suter, unless he scored tonight. And it took Suter 600 more games than it took Barry to get to 100. And the great Alan Stanley, a personal favorite of mine from the 1960s Maple Leafs. So when I was a kid, I used to say, Alan Stanley is so great, he's got two cups named after him. <laughs> and he moved out of a six-way tie. The guys with 99, some pretty good guys here. Dennis Weidman, Sammy Sallow, Zarly Zalapsky, Phil Russell, great Edmonton Oil King, and the great Edmonton Oiler, Charlie Huddy, that all ended their careers with 99 goals. Poor buggers. And uh, so he got that nice milestone goal tonight. And uh, when the Oilers really needed it, like just three or four minutes after Calgary opened the scoring, that was uh, that was big to get back and oh, stabilize yeah. the game. Like I had visions of that game actually being one nothing. The way Markstrom seemed to be setting up, you know, and so anyway. Well, a very interesting night, Bruce. We learned something about you that you watch darts on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to I used to watch snooker. I used to watch darts. I used to watch all these sort of oh, cringe God. sports that uh, not you know not all the time, but I would I turn it on and let it go. Whereas nowadays they just show you highlights of the month, bloopers of the month. Highlights of the month, bloopers of the month, over and over and over yeah, again, yeah. rather than ever showing you content of a, you know, an actual sporting competition. People's attention spans has got down. <laughs> I gone down. I used to watch. I used to watch. Is it snooker or snooker? I used to watch that too because it was snooker. To the, there wasn't a lot to, on the TV. Educated. Was it Cliff? Was it Cliff Thorburn? Was he the great yes? He was a Canadian, Canadian snooker yeah. snooker yeah. player. There you go. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Well, let's. Let's leave it there for we're, today. We're well off the beaten path, path now. Okay. We got back to a mandatory sports references from the 1960s with Alan Stanley. So That was a good one, though. The two cups stayed down. <laughs>
the height of wit in the 1960s. All right. The Allen Cup was a big deal at that I know time, what. too. It was like it was the big one for amateur hockey, and the Stanley was the big one for pros. So I really liked his name. I thought yeah. was, when I was a kid, I thought, what a great name. So, Is the Allen Cup still even contested? Yes. You bet. That's yeah. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. There's a couple teams in Alberta that are still going after it. And uh, every once in a while you hear, oh. you know, somebody making a run. Well, the last three years it's been cancelled, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah, but well, that, uh, they'll, they'll like have the a Spengler going on Cup, this. Yeah. The, the last winner of the Allen Cup was the Lacombe Generals mm-hmm. of Alberta, and they beat the Innisfail Eagles. Wow. And no surprise to see um, that region of the country winning some Allen Cups. Man, they, they love their hockey in central Alberta, and there's some, uh, there's some fierce mm-hmm. teams in minor hockey, and I'm sure in senior hockey. Bruce... Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for winning, Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, we needed that. We and ever. in the meantime, and in between, between times, this has been another edition of the Cult Hockey Podcast.